you know, to get the, what we're trying to grow is that when, you know, two guardians get into an elevator together in a civilian clothes, they don't, there's something that you can just feel like, are you a guardian? I can just, I can just feel that, right? There's a connection between us. That's what we're trying, that's what we're trying, that's why the identity portion is, is so, so important to us. From the Defense and Aerospace Report, this is The Downlink, a podcast about the intersection of space, the space business, and defense. Not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. Hello, podcasters. This episode is coming to you from Orlando, Florida, from the first ever Space Power Conference. As it's mid-December, we're just days away from December 20th. That's the Space Force birthday. And this year, the youngest military service branch turns four. There's a lot of coverage about acquisitions, workforce structure, the budget. And also, this week, Space Command, which is the combatant command located on Peterson Space Force Base in Colorado Springs, Colorado, it was declared fully operational on Friday. But in Florida, in a hotel across the street from SeaWorld, Space Force leadership, past and present, guardians and space companies gathered for the inaugural Space Power Conference, and it was hosted by the Space Force Association. Following the national anthem, the association's president, retired Air Force colonel and space professional, Bill Hippie Wolf, shared the purpose of the gathering. So I'm going to hurry up and get off the stage, but before I do that, I do want to say the reason why we're all here is we have near-peer competitors that want to prevent our space superiority mission. Our space superiority is critical to the future $1.5 trillion space economy that hinges on the ability for our national security sector represented by the Space Force to do its job. So let me be very clear. The reason why we're here and gathered together for these next couple of days is to, to ensure our guardians have exactly what they need to execute their space superiority mission. This episode is about what this conference means to guardian identity. Other service branches have their own association and annual family reunions, and there are other military and space events that include the Space Force as, well, part of the mix. But until now, none were actually dedicated solely to guardians. Their identity, their achievements, their requirements, their careers, as well as the tools they need to carry out their mission. That's what this event, at its visceral core, is really about. And to share why this is important for Guardians, we first have Bill Wolf and then Space Force Chief Master Sergeant John Bentvenia. Here's our conversation. Hi, Bill. Thank you for coming on the Downlink Podcast to talk about the Space Force Association and your first Space Power Conference. Thanks so much, Laura. I really appreciate you taking time, to, and I'm happy to discuss what's going on in the Space Force Association. So before we start talking about today and the association, take a minute and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, you bet. I'm happy to. In fact, uh, I... I initially wasn't even planning on joining the military and I was in college at the time going to get my degree in secondary education and I remember somebody coming up to me and saying hey what do you think about working eight days a month 
And I thought, hey, that sounds pretty good because I wasn't sure about being a teacher. And then he said, what do you think about getting your master's degree? And I said, well, I'm getting my bachelor's and I know that if you're a teacher, you should probably have your master's as well. And he said, you should think about joining the Air Force. And I talked to my dad about it, who was in the Air Force very briefly during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And he said, yeah, I was in the Air Force for a little bit. And I said, okay, I'll try joining the Air Force just to see what happens. Wait, wait, wait. wait. This was, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm going to go, like, go through, you know, basic training. ROTC and, and be told and the whole when to thing. wake up and go to sleep and when to eat. I mean, yeah. Well, as the youngest of four, it was real easy to follow directions. Ah. And so I thought, yeah, you bet. I'll, I'll try it out. And I remember talking to the ROTC detachment, and they said, yeah, you can join up. And if you don't like it, you can quit after four years. And I said, well, I'll give it at least four years and just see what happens. And, and so I, I joined the military. Uh, I got undergraduate uh, missile training because I didn't have space and missile training at the time. It was just undergraduate missile training. So I got missiles because everybody at the time, it was mid-90s, uh, actually, yeah, mid-90s, and everyone was going pilot, navigator, non-rated operations. That was your standard wish list in, the, in ROTC. And I got non-rated operations, which turned out to be missiles. And I went into missiles and did that for four years. And that was when they started transitioning folks from missiles to space. And then we, everybody who was in missiles, because quite honestly, missiles is a tough assignment. You know, you spend a lot of time underground. Um, I mean, thank God for the, the, you know, sentinels that are up there on alert on a regular basis. And everyone does their time and, and there's, everyone creates bonds and friendships because of that adversity in that type of mission, which was great. Which, by the way, that's where I created probably many of the most lasting friendships I've ever had that have lasted to this day. And so then from missiles went to space. Space, I did a, a quick stint at the 4th Space Surveillance Squadron at Holloman Air Force Base. And then went to weapon school, and then weapon school was interesting because they say this is all the things that are happening in the space domain. From there, though, you deploy. And so I deployed and was now an ambassador, if you will, for space power and space operations to combatant commander staffs. And so I went to Guam, which was at the time 13th Air Force, and I supported PACAF operations as a young captain doing integration of space capabilities into their operations plans, which was extremely exciting. But to be a captain doing that was just, let's just say, is, is pretty difficult. Deployed to Afghanistan early on, probably the most memorable time and most, uh, the best, not the best, but the most impactful time I had in the military was my time in Afghanistan. And uh, yeah, spent the rest of my, my career just kind of going to every op center, trying to figure out how to integrate all capabilities, all domains into a better understanding so that we could be most efficient at our war fighting efforts. And culminated a career in, in 2018. And uh, in 2018, I transitioned into industry. I was frustrated because I didn't think industry did a good job of adopting space warfighters into industry. And so I consider myself a space warfighter, and I, I thought, there's got to be a better way. What if there was an organization that folks could join to create a platform and network that could then raise and elevate that professional, net, or, or professional, camar professional camaraderie that had been created uh, in the military? And so that's how Space Force Association was born. But that's a little bit more background 
probably than you asked or wanted to hear <laughs> good. about my career in the, in the military and then how uh, SFA started. Well, I mean, that goes right into, you know, my next question, because I've got to let the audience in on a little history, because I first met you about two years ago, well, maybe a little more than two years ago, right? And it was at a wee small booth, tucked away at the Air Force Association's Airspace Cyber Event in 2021. Am I right? We were two years old at the time. Oh, we really? start, Yeah, we started it in 2019. I remember I came up with the idea, talking to some other folks, came up with the idea to do it and created a website and everything, which by the way, I didn't have any background in creating any of this. I had never run a 501c3 before. I had no idea what I was getting involved in. I remember a phone call I had with my brother and I told him I was going to start a professional organization to support space professionals. And he said, I don't think you realize how much work you're actually signing up for. And now in reflection, he was Absolutely correct. But it's been a true labor of love. But yeah, we started um, SFA in 2019 in October, just a, a few months before the Space Force stood up. Wow. So the association is actually older than the actual military branch. Yes. There you go. Well, you know, just to round this out, I mean, this booth was located in the event hall's equivalent of Siberia. <laughs> Okay, I mean, that's just truth be told, right? Way in the back, it was to the right. You really couldn't get much further away from the front door. And, you know, now look today at your first real association event. I mean, this is an event event, not just a convention, but a, it's a, a much bigger thing. It's standing room only. You've had to turn people away. It's rammed in the main meeting room. Guardians are everywhere. People are just standing because there are no more chairs. You know, this is pretty darn amazing. I mean, this is an accomplishment. So why? I mean, you, you've said that you wanted to start a professional association, but why is the professional association needed, right? I mean, why does the Space Force, why do guardians need their own, dare I say it, family reunion in a way? No, that's an interesting way to, pay, to put it because I think that's the important characteristic here is it is a family and it's a brand new family that just stood up that people don't know what it means to be part of. And so I think it's more important now than ever before to create a platform to allow the family to learn what it means to interact with the family. And that's, that's really why we did it is just provide a platform. And initially it was simply about just documenting the stories. Because again, we've not, you know, space warfighting has been part of our curriculum and, and discussion now for a long time. I went to space weapon school in 2001. So we're talking about warfighting in space since Corona. And so it really, you know, there's no, there's no um, epiphany that says, hey, what, what is this space warfighting thing? You're going to have to explain real quick what Corona is to my audience. Interesting. Yeah. So Corona was the project back in the uh, mid-60s to uh, launch satellites into orbit with wet film and take pictures and then dispense those capsules, pick those up, and then disseminate intelligence based on what, what that capability allowed. And that was really the big transition. I use that today in the conference, actually, because my dad operated the U-2 program back in the Cuban Missile Crisis. He was part of that program as a young airman. And that, when the U-2 experienced the inability 
to provide access based on the threat to the air domain, then we had to ex experience how do we take it to the, another level? You know, how do we get better access? Well, satellites provided access. And so that's why the U2 program eventually faded away, uh, you know, to, 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 uh, to, to an extent, even though they are still flying. Um, but that's why we have satellites now in orbit. So going back to the, the Space Force Association, it's simply a platform to document all the stories that are happening, regardless of sector, and then culminate them in a way that says the underpinning of this, again, regardless of sector, is the national security sector. We can talk about civil and commercial all day long space, but if you don't have national security represented by the U.S. Space Force, and the U.S. Space Force doesn't succeed, then everything crumbles. It's not a, it's not a stovepipe. It's not civil being a stovepipe, commercial being a stovepipe, and space force being a stovepipe. It's, it's a pyramid, inverse pyramid, where the space force is at the very point of it. And if it fails, commercial and civil goes away. So that's the importance of this organization, and it allows everybody to have uh, take part in it and, and be a member of it. Regardless of whether you can join the space force or not, you can at least join a professional organization that supports a strong space force. So... You retired as a colonel, right? Yes. But this is not like being a colonel, <laughs> right? I mean, you were if you when you were a colonel, you had your own group. You know, where you, you have ready and willing, you know, folks that are, you know, will jump in and get stuff done, right? You are now a civilian leading an army of mostly volunteers. This can't be easy. Mm -mm. No, no, it's not. It, it is a labor of love. And the, the, really the cool thing is about what's happening in, this, in the space domain is everyone's excited about it. Everyone is, uh, this is Well, a, what's not to be excited about? Have, it is space. It's so cool. But we have to capitalize on that excitement. You have to provide a venue for people to get excited. And so that's what SFA is. If, if I have a meeting and I talk to a potential volunteer and that volunteer says, hey, I'm excited about this. That's really all the initiative that is needed to get them involved so they can start running with that excitement. So that's really all it is, is just feeding the excitement and allowing that to continue to excel inside an organization. Here's an insider thing for all of our listeners here. It's being called hippied, <laughs> okay? Because Bill's call sign is hippie. So if you get into the presence of hippie, as in Bill, and you sign up, you have been hippied. Here's how it goes, that excitement I was just talking about. We get into a conversation, and someone says, hey, you know what we can do? And I love that. I just stand by and I wait for it. And, I, and then I dare them. I say, I dare you to say the next thing. And they say, I think we should do that. And I said, hmm, are you willing to lead that program? Do you want to take on that responsibility as being that program manager within the organization? Sometimes I get yes, sometimes I get no. But if you just, just do that enough times, you get probably the highest caliber of volunteers you could ever want in any organization. And that's really what's happened is I'm surrounded by, by people way smarter than me running programs that they are just dedicated to running. And it's just, it's, it's awe. I, I am awed by it on a regular basis because these are, we meet on a, a weekly basis. The executive team meets on a weekly basis and they are the volunteers committed to running the organization. So yeah, 
Uh, we had our national convention yesterday. You sure we can't call them hippies? Uh, well, they, they've been hippied, <laughs> and it's up to them as to whether or not they want to call themselves hippies. I'm so glad that call sign came back around, by the way, because at a certain <laughs> time in, in history, it wasn't uh, politically correct to have that call sign. But I think people are really acknowledging the fact that, hey, maybe we should take ourselves just a little less seriously, and, and maybe life would be a little more enjoyable. So hippie came from... Uh, many years ago, uh, my brother had a 1969 VW Bug, and I could probably leave it at that, but there's a pretty funny story that goes along with it. But needless to say, I, I drove a flower-painted Volkswagen Bug to weapons school in 2001 and got the call sign Hippie. So that's where Hippie comes from. But yeah, when people sign up and they say, hey, we should do this, I go, yeah, okay, do it. And I... I yeah, people are getting hippied on a regular basis, and I think they're going to be, be hippied more now just based on the, the conference we just had. So you and the hippies, you've been out mingling with the Guardians, not just the leadership. And when you look at them, when you speak with them, I mean, just before we start, sat down here, you were you know, speaking with Guardians. What's the vibe? Yeah, it's... Like, how would you sum it up? I, I would just say uh, independence would be a good way, to, I guess, to say that because they feel like they have something. Um, one of the speakers today said, hey, I feel like this is a warm place. And that resonated with me. That's what we're trying to establish is, hey, this is a safe place to just be yourself. Talk about the things that are concerning you. Have discussions with your, your fellow guardians in the hallway and just walking around, because I do spend a lot of time. What's funny about hosting a conference is when I used to go to other conferences, I would hate sitting in the audience. I'd be the person out walking around, talking to people. And so I did that today, mostly because I was working, but also because I wanted to hear what the buzz was going around in the hallways. And I just listened to folks and people laughing and talking and, hey, what about? And you know, hearing people question and having conversations, that's, that's really ultimately what this turns into. So now with all the squishy stuff out of the way, <laughs> why is this strategic, though, for Guardians, you know, for the Space Force? We've got other events, right, where mm -hmm. Space Force participates, other opportunities for space businesses to engage. Mm -hmm. But you've got SpaceX and Blue Origin here. Yeah, that, that, that was very interesting. Because if we talk about what the future looks like, and if we don't talk about that futurist look and say, what will this look like 30 years from now, then we're missing the opportunity to lay that foundation, which needs to be talked about now if we want to get to where we want to be 30 years from now. And those are the discussions we had with those sponsors. Is, is We spoke to them and said, what do you want this to look like for you? And they said, this is what I want it to look like. And we said, Let's incorporate it. Let's have that discussion. We're really excited that Jared Isaacman show, is showing up from Inspiration4 and uh, Polaris Dawn Mission to talk about what his concerns are as a private astronaut and what that means to national security, if, if anything. And I'm sure there's, there's something that we can protect or, or project from that, but we just got to now be delivered about what that conversation is, or at least document the conversation. And where that evolves to, we'll figure it out. So can you say that we're going to have another one of these next year? 100%. The feedback today has been overwhelmingly positive. Everybody has come up and said, okay, here's what you should do. 
which by the way, then I can say, are you willing to run the event team lead for next year? Which of course they say no. Um, so yeah, we're going to do this again next year. I suspect it's going to be on December 11th and 12th here in Orlando again. Uh, I don't know what the venue is going to look like just based on what our participants want to see. And so, yeah, but we, you can, and how many participants participants show up? I think we're going to double in size. We're about 1400 this year registrants. And so I think we'll be to three to 5,000 next year. And and we're really excited about that. And going back to your point about the importance of it, one, you got to have the, the conversation, um, but two, you have to allow guardians to have these types of conversations away from their day-to-day operational lives where perhaps they get overwhelmed on a regular basis. So take a break. Come out. Have some camaraderie. I mean, Guardian Arena went on, which is a tremendous opportunity uh, for them to create those team-building skills or, and have that team-building experience. And that's where stories are created. And then stories are going to be created here. In fact, I was talking to some friends who were speakers today, and we were talking about how we went to a conference like this back in 2006. And we've been friends, you know, lifelong friends ever since. And so it's those types of experiences that create those types of friendships that you just carry with you throughout your life. That's what Space Power Conference is all about. Bill, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Uh, Laura, thanks so much for having me. I look forward to uh, many more discussions. Next up, we have Space Force Chief Master Sergeant John Bentevania. He goes by the call sign B-9, and he bears a very striking resemblance to Stanley Tucci, glasses and all. Here's our conversation. Hello, B-9. Thank you for making the time to come on the Downlink Podcast. It is such an honor to have you. Thanks, Laura. I appreciate it. You know, uh, Excited to kind of come and have a chance to, to talk to you and talk about Guardians and talk about the Space Force. You know, this is a big month for us. It's our birthday month. So Happy birthday, talk Space a Force. About that. But yeah, I really appreciate the time and opportunity today. Now, before we start talking about the first ever Space Force Association event, maybe the Space Force birthday, you know, the Space Force Association, I really want my audience to have a chance to get to know you because, you know, who are you really in the scheme of the United States Space Force and where do you come from? And take a moment to, yeah, introduce yourself, you know, what you do and where you do it. All right. So my name is Chief Mass Artist Space Force John Bentevania. So that's why B9 is my kind of nickname. Bentevania is kind of a mouthful. But where did the name come from? I mean, it's it's beautiful. It's Italian. My father was first generation. I told you I, I, I grew up in Jersey City, New Jersey, right up the street from the Statue of Liberty. And uh, my father, first generation, you know, came. their family came through Ellis Island that's out there. Um, but I don't speak any Italian at all. I hate to disappoint you. Though I'm pretty good at eating Italian food, but I don't speak any Italian. How are you at cooking it? Uh, I'm not too bad. Now, I'm not as good as Stanley Tucci. But, but you could definitely do be a double. Uh, you know, I get that a lot. But I haven't gotten a free meal or a free drink out of that uh, correlation yet. People ask me all the time, are you staying like Tucci? I'm like, I don't know, if you buy me a glass of wine, maybe I'll tell you. But no one ever, no one ever takes me on that. Um, but so, you know, that, that's kind of who I am. So uh, I work at the Pentagon in D.C. That's kind of where the office of the Chief Master Sergeant Space Force is. Uh, my wife and I, Kathy, we live out at Andrews Air Force Base out there. So... Catherine are empty nesters. Our children are older. Caitlin and Neil, they live in Colorado. 
which is where I spend most of my kind of career. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Kathy and I have two little furry ones at home, so I have a little French bulldog. Her name is Twinkie. She's a rescue. Then I have a Japanese chin. Her name is Saki. Japanese chin, Saki. And, uh, yeah, we're living out there having a, having a great time and really, you know, feel so blessed and fortunate to be, you know, in this position for her and I to partner with General Salsman and Miss Jennifer, you know, to kind of help, you know, take care of our, advocate for our guardians, take care of our guardians, and uh, we're just living and loving life. I've, I've been in the job since about the middle of September, so it hasn't been that long. So actually, this might be my first, like, official podcast that I've done with somebody outside of with, with Andy, who, who makes me do stuff all the time. But if this actually with with actual reporter first first podcast. So if you see fear in my eyes, that's my first time. Well, audience, I think you can imagine there is actually no fear in his eyes. But I might have to take <laughs> him up later on the whole Stanley Tucci double thing. Um, you know, I've had the privilege of working for and deploying with United States Armed Forces overseas. Right? I was an Army civilian for a bit. Well, thank you for that. Oh, it was you know my pleasure. And, you know, as a part of that experience, I have worked alongside master sergeants, command master sergeants. So while I may know a thing, and perhaps maybe two if I'm lucky, about your responsibilities, I'd really wager here that some in my audience really don't. And I think it's really important to understand, actually, what a master sergeant and a chief master sergeant of an actual military branch does. Yeah, so... You know, each branch has what they call a senior enlisted advisor. So I am the senior enlisted advisor as the chief of the Space Force, and I advise General Salsman as the chief of space operations. I also advise the secretary of the Air Force and all the services. So, for example, today, Chief Mass Sergeant Joanne Bass is the chief mass sergeant of the Air Force, another separate and separate service. You have the sergeant major of the Army, the sergeant major of the Marine Corps. So all the services kind of have their equivalent of the senior enlisted advisor. And so what we do, and what I do specifically, is advise General Salsman, advocate for and care for our, you know, all, all guardians and their families. But I spend a lot of time focused on enlisted issues specifically as the most senior enlisted person within the service. So before you became chief, you were part of the Space Force. Yes. Before you were part of the Space Force, you were part of the Air, Air Force. Force. Yes. So why did you come over to space? Why are you in space? So, you know, when I originally enlisted in the military, I, I was an airman. I joined the Air Force back in 1994. And uh, I originally came in as a maintainer. You know, I was a maintainer in the Air Force. Uh, and after doing that for a couple of years, I had the opportunity to change career fields, which is very common in, in services. And I went from being a maintainer getting into space operations, which at the time, you know, the Air Force executed space operations in, with a career field, and a career field, which I became part of. And I did that for many, many years, you know, and I came up through the ranks. I mean, I was a, I was a junior enlisted when I made that transition, and I did that work all the way up until I became an E-9 or a chief master sergeant within the Air Force. As a matter of fact, I was a chief master sergeant, but I was also a, a, a command chief, which in the Air Force, you know, certain levels of leadership. Um, and I was actually at uh, the command chief at 14th Air Force out at Vandenberg at the time Air Force Base in California when the Space Force was established. Now we always kind of kind of thought through the years, right, that because of the change in the domain and, and things were, you know, how we were operationalizing space and some of the threats that were emerging that eventually we would become our own separate service. So when that occurred and I had the opportunity to transfer, since I had been doing it for so long, 
I had a passion for the mission set. I think I had a lot of relevant experience to be able to bring to a new service and be part of that foundation uh, from the beginning. You know, my wife Catherine and I talked about it, and you know, we made the decision to volunteer, which we all volunteered to change services, and then join the Space Force. And I transitioned on the first day that we were allowed to do so. You know, the service stood up on December 20th, uh, 2019, but it wasn't until once September of 2020 is when really the, the, the groups of individuals, specifically airmen, were able to make that transition. Uh, so I did that in September of 2020 to join the Space Force. And how has it been to transition to being the chief for the Space Force? Um, a little surreal. You know, um, as an enlisted member, you know, when you, when you have your career and you spend as many years as specifically as I did, right, um, you know, even for NCOs, the senior enlisted advisors on the services, regardless of what service that you're in, um, it's always that individual that you look to that is doing the advocacy, right, that is is representing you and your family's needs and cares, who you can count on to kind of, you know, listen to you and kind of be in your corner all the time. And then when that opportunity came up that, you know, I interviewed and, and I, you know, I was in that cadre of eligible chiefs, and when General Salzman told me I was doing that, it was very surreal because I, you'd always looked and said, man, what an amazing opportunity, important job. And then to realize, wow, now I'm responsible to now do that. It's a little overwhelming, but it is immensely rewarding. It, it has been. You know, I, I, I walked into the job um, and I had a lot of support. A lot of people was like, hey, you know, th this is the right time for you to be the Chief Master Army Space Force. Um, but I was nervous. I really was. And, it, and some of it was about my ability, but the biggest thing was to not to let the guardians down. And I think I've gotten more comfortable in, in doing that. But that feeling of, oh my gosh, like now it's me. I have, I have the wheel. And um, you know, not wanting to let the guardians down. And how many people, though, are also part of your team helping you oh. hang on to that wheel? Oh, well, I mean, on, on a large scale, I would say every guardian's on my team. But specifically within the office of the Chief Master Sergeant Space Force, so I have you know three of them here in the room. So you know Master Sergeant Andy Satran, who's my communications specialist. Um, I have Chief Master Sergeant Brian Sheffield is here. He's my senior advisor in the office, and you know, Master Sergeant Matthew Felker is here. He's my special assistant. Also a few others. I have, I have an Air Force First Sergeant currently serving in the office, and she helps me make sure that we're taking care of that all the airmen and guardians that are that are in the service that advises me as well. I have someone who kind of helps with my schedule back in the office, Jennifer, and then I have uh, Megan um, back in the office, and she kind of helps with a lot of my travel and logistics. Because it's, it's some of these travel days can be very complicated to try and maximize the, the time that I have to engage with individuals when, I'm, when I go to some place. You know, if I can avoid it, I don't want to be stuck in traffic or, right, because I'm going somewhere to, to meet people and do something. Uh, it's kind of unfair if I say, hey, I'm going to come visit, and I spend half the time, you know, waiting for taxis or, you know, waiting to get a rental car. Right. Um, so they really try to maximize those engagements opportunities for me. And as a team, they keep me on track. They, they really do. I'm a handful. Well, I'm not going to lie. Well, as part of being a handful, then what would you say would be the biggest challenge for your job? There are so many things that we sit together and, and we try to do a fair amount of strategizing. Like, you know, what is it that our guardians and our families need? And that list is long, right? There are so many things we want to be able to do 
Uh, like earlier today, over lunch, we were having a conversation of, you know, we have guardians that are in BMT, uh, basic military training, down at Lackland Air Force Base in Texas. And they're going to be there over Christmas. And today we spent quite a bit of time of, hey, can we get down there to go see them? What does that look like, right? How many hours on a plane is a good use of taxpayer dollars, right? How, much, how will I be able to engage with them for how many hours to say, hey, not only happy birthday because we're in December, but you're going to be here on Christmas Day, right? And you join in the team. So, you know, we want to do that. And there's other things we want to do. And, and trying to balance, right, and prioritize to make sure that you're spending the time uh, wisely that, that we have. Uh, and then working with, like I said, every guardian's kind of on my team. And, and I have a great group of chiefs specifically, you know, in the Space Force with me and, and, and several airmen chiefs that are, you know, helping me out. Um, you know, what is it I can ask them on my behalf? Say, I can't get there today. I can't do this. Can you represent, right, our guardians to get after this for me? Because I have to be to do something else. And then we spend a lot of time working through that. So the challenges are juggling all those things. So now, as you are the personal advisor to the chief of space operations and the secretary of the Air Force on all issues regarding the welfare, readiness, morale, proper utilization, and development of the U.S. Space Force, and yes, that is right off the website, why is having an organization and this event specifically dedicated to the U.S. Space Force and its guardians strategically important? You know, how does this develop and cultivate the DNA of the Space Force? Yeah, I, so I think, you know, when we have relationships with SFA and other, you know, uh, organizations that, that advocate for and partner with the services, with SFA specifically on this one, you know, there's a lot of industry partners that are here. So, you know, having a relationship and kind of coming here to the Space Power Conference, you know, gives us the ability to kind of not only strengthen that relationship and the partnership with industry, but allows us to tell our story, right? And General Salsman gave his speech today. He kind of said, hey, this is what we've done in 2023, and a little bit of kind of where we're going. I think that's really important. You know, we're, we're just going to, we're going to be four years old this month on, on the 20th. So we still have a lot of recognition building to do with the American people and with industry as well. So these power, space power conferences not only give us the ability to strengthen those relationships, get so people understand who we are and what we do, um, but then operationally, right, when, you know, walking out and, and talking to everyone out there with all the innovation, and they really want to help. They want, how do I help the Space Force be successful? How do I put technology in the hands of the operators of the Space Force, right, so they can do the business of the nation they need to do? So I think events like this, right, kind of help us get after a lot of goodness, a lot of things we have to do. But from my perspective, you know, I'm going to give a keynote on tomorrow afternoon. Is you know, I'm going to take the platform, and I want to brag about our guardians, and I want to tell the story, so that the contract, the industry that's here, understands the talent and the capabilities that we have. So as we're thinking of the solutions, thinking about if I give them this widget, this tool, will they be able to employ it? And tomorrow, you know, I'm hoping to explain a little bit of that. And we have some amazing talent you know, within the Space Force. So I kind of want to tell that story tomorrow. And events like this give me that platform. You know, I've attended other service branch events like AUSA, which is for the Army, and then you've got the AFA, though they like to call it the ASFA and whatever A. Okay, but the thing is, you know, what I also find really important about those events and those organizations 
is that it's really for the rank and file. I mean, industry is there for sure yeah. to sell their wares, to deepen or start relationships with that service branch. But I, what at least I'm finding, me personally, that is so special about this is that you know this really is for guardians. But I don't have the perspective of a guardian. I'm just an outsider. Yeah. I mean, that's a fact, right? So yeah. that's why I'm asking the question, you know, why... Why would having a Space Force Association be strategically important to guardians? So, you know, it's not very often that a guardian gets to sit in a room and hear directly from General Salzman in a venue like this um, or get a chance to hear me speak or, you know, a lot of the goodness for the development, right, the connection we have as guardians to one another and to the missions that we do where, you know, getting a cup of coffee, you know, I'm talking to guardians or telling me about who they are and what they do and the ideas that they have, or they have a question. Let's say, hey, you know, Chief always wanted to ask this, you know, so, you know. Did you why? get a question like that today? I get it all, yeah, I get it all, all, all the oh, time. Oh, give us an example. Um, Unnamed, of course. Yeah, so, like, I had someone ask me today about, you know, I'm at a point in my career, what should I do next? You know, where, where do I go from here? Um, you know, and you get that in a lot of services, but in a space force, because we're so new and, and you know we're rapidly changing, you know not only how we're organized and structured, but the jobs that we do. So it was an opportunity to say, "Hey, chief, you have any advice? Like, this is kind of where I've been. You know, I knew the individual. Um, what's what do you think is next for me as I as I use my guardian voice into the talent management process that we have? What should that voice say? Uh, and those are really meaningful opportunities." to kind of have conversations. Now, sometimes where you can't, in the middle of a, you know, hundreds of people around you, it's kind of hard necessarily to, to have a, a lengthy conversation, but it does allow like to, hey, here's my number, like, let's, let's talk. And I think there's a lot of goodness in that. Like, you know, for guardians, you know, being here, hearing from General Salzman, you know, him bragging about everything we've accomplished in 2023 and having a guardian sitting in the office going, I did that. I was part of that. And then to see and they the were shouting from the audience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then and then him talking about our values, right? And kind of charting that vision for us is very powerful. It's different than reading it in an email, in an article, seeing it in a video, but being in the room, I think, is important because it helps us to continue to strengthen our identity and continue to build the culture. You know, General Salsman and I say that, you know, you can't define culture. Like you can't mandate it from the Pentagon, right? It's, it's, it's got to be grown organically from the... Now, sure, you know, we put out the guardian ideal, right? The, um, amplifying the, guard, the guardian spirit, which are broad boxes that we tell the guard. This, this is the world in which we live in as guardians. But the real culture is, how do each one of you live within that sphere? You know, what are the things that when you come to work every day that the behaviors and the connections right, that you try to, hey, this is what we accept, but more importantly, what is unacceptable within our group? And what is outside that box that we need to get out? You know, I think these kind of discussions are very powerful and helpful for us as we continue to strengthen our culture. Let's be about culture and identity, you know, and this is going to sound kind of weird when I say it, but just hear me out. You know, there was a lot of talk today about working with, or perhaps it's better to say, becoming more a part of the joint force. But how does having a separate space force identity, not just a separate space force, because 
we have a separate space yeah. for us, right? Okay, but the identity, right? <clears throat> the identity, the culture, and I do mean really an identity because that kind of encompasses all of that. You know, how does having that identity support the joint force? And can you give me an example of that? So every service has their unique identity. You know, um, so striving as us as a space force to say we continue to define and strengthen our identity. You know, is it that's not an outlier, right? That's something that we all kind of do. It's core. It is. It's visceral. It is. But but from a joint perspective, from the joint fight. But that's one of the strengths of our joint force collectively, is that you know we each bring that culture right from a space domain, a culture that the development of culture that we are built and building space mindedness, right? So think about this: we are asking guardians to act critically and make operational decisions and think outside the box in a domain that they will probably never see touch or feel, whether that's the space domain, whether that's the cyber domain, or the information domain for intelligence. From the enlisted perspective in the Space Force, there's only three enlisted specialties. You're an intel operator, you're a cyber operator, or you're a space operator. The cognitive domain of all three of them are off the chart, right? So it's a different type of of culture that we have. Just like when we engage on a joint team with a sailor or a marine or a soldier or an airman, we bring that domain mindfulness to the table, and that's what makes us strong as a joint force. Right? And I think there's an acknowledgement right, of that credibility that comes with that culture for the domain that you're trying to master. You know, to get the, what we're trying to grow is that when you know, two guardians get into an elevator together in a civilian clothes, they don't, there's something that you can just feel like, are you a guardian? I can just, I can just feel that, right? There's a connection between us. That's what we're trying. That's what we're trying. To, that's why the identity portion is is so so important to us. And I got. I mean, I worked on plenty of joint teams, and you know, not only is it do I appreciate that in the Guardians, but you know, when I'm engaging with a soldier or a sailor, it's the same thing. Like, man, I I appreciate that sense of culture and identity, but collectively, as a, as a nation, that jointness when we come together, I think is critically important. And you know that unique identity for each each one of us is a strong part of that. So, what are you doing for Space Force birthday? Um, what do you got plans? Your cake? Every birthday has to have cake. Yes, yes. So, uh, uh, it's almost like a, a month long celebration. So, actually, the first cake, General Salsman and I had a chance to. I think it was on December first up on Capitol Hill. We had a chance to get up there with some uh, junior guardians. In fact, today when I saw you in the hallway. Uh, there was a very junior guardian who works in the National Capital Region who we invited because of his very junior in service to cut the cake with General Salzman and I and the Secretary of the Air Force um, at that ceremony. And when you saw me today earlier, his father was also, he's an actively serving airman in the Air Force, and that's how we connected today because he saw me. He goes, hey, you met my son a couple of weeks ago on Capitol Hill when he was cutting the cake. Um, so that's just amazing, right? Think of how big the world is. And that connection is there, right? That a ser- active duty serving you know, guardian today that I met just a few weeks ago, cutting the cake, and then I see his father, right, a couple states away in Florida, and he says, "Hey," and, and this is this is the mo- one of the most gratifying parts. He says, "My son was so so excited to, to meet you, right?" And you know I, the picture we had together. Um, that's that's impactful. Um, so the circle back. So now you're going to make me messed up. So, you know, circling back to that, 
Um, Stanley Tucci doesn't cry. Um, circling back to that, I think we're going to cut cake again uh, in the Pentagon. General Salsman might have a chance to do that. Uh, you know, we're singing the Space Force song, probably sing Happy Birthday. Um, what I'd like to be able to do, you know, one of the traditions when we talk about her- heritage, um, probably do a toast in a plastic cup uh, to the Space Force for the birthday, because that's kind of how originally, right after it stood up, you know, um, General Raymond, who was the first CSO, and Chief Torberman, who was in the seat at the time, um, that's kind of what they had, and they, they happened to toast with plastic cups, so I think that's a tradition we're going to keep. Um, yeah, so that's, I think that's what I'm going to do, have a little birthday cake, maybe toast out of a plastic cup, and uh, sing, the, sing the Space Force song. Maybe happy birthday, too. Well, congratulations on four years. Thank you. And Chief B9, thank you so much for coming on the Downlink Podcast. No, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity. That's it for this week. If you like what you're hearing, follow the Downlink on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. For the latest defense news and analysis, listen to the Daily Defense and Aerospace Report podcast hosted by Vago Maradian and listen to Kavis Ships to hear the latest on what's happening in the maritime domain. I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening.